This Tridio production is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and made possible by you, our listener. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit tridio.com slash donate. You're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, episode number 29. for over 2,000 years. I am Scottish. I can complain about things. Shush. Hi, I'm Don Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, where we discuss the latest episodes of the hit series Doctor Who. Today we're discussing the seventh episode of season 10, The Pyramid at the End of the World. This is the second part of a three-part series of episodes that uh, some are calling the Monks Trilogy. Uh, And joining me today on the panel are Jimmy Aiken from San Diego. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. And Father Corey Stika from Malta, Montana. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going? Good, good. So, uh... The Pyramid at the End of the World, this is the classic um, middle episode of a trilogy. It, it doesn't start the story, and it doesn't finish the story, so we're kind of in the middle of a story. Um, the, we, I, I kind of like to start by talking about the, sort of the behind, some of the behind-the-scenes stuff that kind of sets the stage for, for these yeah. episodes. But, um, and I like to talk about who wrote them, because at this stage in, in Doctor Who history, uh, we have a stable of writers we have people who've written more than one and it kind of gives us a a look at their style and the way they kind of write it you know mark gaddis is, a, is a always um col- a close collaborator with stephen moffat and we, you know but and and so on and so forth we get these uh, um writers who come up again and again now this week last week the first episode was stephen moffat this was his traditional uh i'm going to write a big story in the middle of the season episode and it's his last one for with doctor who of course we're going to keep talking about you know lasts for stephen moffat and peter capaldi his, his, his last mid-season his, sorry yes one. to be yeah. to be clear his last mid-season uh big episode uh this see this week we watched um uh, uh, this the pyramid at, at the end of the world uh written by peter harness uh he's and 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 Stephen Moffat actually gets a, a credit on it. So we, as we talked about last week, Jimmy, that's often a sign that um, the show writer kind of went back and added things relative to the larger story, right? Well, actually, showrunners tend to add things relative to the larger story in every episode. There's a certain degree of contribution that the showrunner makes without getting a credit. But if the showrunner goes beyond a certain kind of minimal level, then union rules require that the showrunner get, or whoever the showrunner assigns, also get credit. Okay. Um, in some cases, it's it, it, that can work uh in a really good episode like uh, for example in the wedding episode of sherlock uh stephen moffat has a co-credit on that and the reason is he basically wrote the wedding speech sequence in that episode and i think that yeah i I think that episode is brilliant i love it the wedding speech is great i think this is the best hour of television ever filmed that's my my own opinion on that i love it (laughs) Yeah, it's a wonderful episode, and and that's a r- somewhat rare case where a showrunner getting a co-credit is is a good sign. But normally, when a showrunner gets a, cr- a co-credit, or when you see a co-credit like that, um, it's often a sign that you're in for trouble, because mm. it frequently means the original script... <clears throat> 
did not work. And the showrunner had to step in and do major surgery. And so, like, if you watch the original episodes of Star Trek and you see a co-credit on them, whether it's Gene Roddenberry or DC Fontana or whoever, usually that co-credit is a sign that this is an episode that required major surgery and it's going to be dicey. Uh, And I think that's what happened here because uh, Peter Harness, as we were talking about just before we started recording, is the author of one of the worst episodes ever, Kill the Moon, which is the one where the moon (laughs) turns out to be a giant egg. Yes, And, And so now we have Peter Harness back and not to play too much on the word harness he's been yoked with Stephen moffat <laughs> and uh and get the egg reference there it's a triple entendre <laughs> yeah. and um and i think that's a sign that this episode did not necessarily go as well as they had hoped in the original scripting stage and moffat had to intervene and i think that shows in the way it came out as we'll talk about now to be fair um because um, Moon Egg is my least favorite episode ever. Um, but to be fair to Peter Harness, he also wrote uh, some of what my some of my favorite. Who, which is last season's or, and when I say last season, I mean two years ago. Uh, uh, the Zygon invasion, uh, in which yep. the the Doctor's final uh, soliloquy, uh, shall we say, in that, I thought was brilliant. I loved it. Um, I, 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 Jimmy, I think I think I recall you weren't as enthused about yeah. it, but I, I really loved it. Um, uh-huh. uh, but so, you know, he's had he's had some high points. He's had a really low point. Um, and then we, we as we discussed uh, off the air before we recorded, um, next week is also being written by um, oh I forget his name Toby already. Without. Toby Whithouse. Toby Whithouse. Yep. Uh, who wrote another episode which you particularly disliked, which was. Oh, um, I hated it. Uh, the God complex. The God complex. Um, and as we discussed, that was the one that took place in the uh, the space hotel. It looked like a. It was almost like The Shining, and then they couldn't escape. And then there was a, cre- a creature that was sort of like the Christmas Krampus, uh, stalking them <laughs> through the halls uh, uh, because it, with their worst fears. Uh, right. if you re- and that was a story of Amy and Rory and uh, Matt Smith's doctor. So, mm-hmm. um, and, and 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 I agree that of the problematic aspects, it really tre- that episode really tre- mistreated um, faith. Um, yeah, uh, and the idea Cause, of faith. Cause, yeah, because what they did in that episode, they they weren't just talking about religious faith. They defined faith more broadly than that. So like Amy's faith in the doctor counts as faith. Well, okay, fine. You know, we all faith does can be used in more than one sense, but when you broaden it like that away from religious faith, it includes all kinds of things like faith that the law of gravity is going to keep working, faith that the laws of logic are true, faith that my food is not being poisoned. You know, there are all kinds of examples of trusting things you can't actually prove. Um, that would then count as faith. And they they then proceeded, which is a fine concept. It's fine to talk about that. It's great to explore those concepts. But what you need to do then is get them right. And they then portray <laughs> Rory as a person who has no faith, which is the key to solving the episode. And that's impossible for Rory to be a functioning human being and have no faith in this broader sense. Right. And and I think there's a similar misunderstanding of a concept on a mm-hmm. fundamental psychological, emotional mm-hmm. level that yes. is at the crux of this episode, too. Yep. And I know we'll be talking about that. Right. 
And to be fair, that was Toby Whithouse who wrote next week's episode. So the the person making the misunderstanding right. this week is either Peter Harness Peter or Harness. or Stephen Moffat, <laughs> whoever wrote it. So um, I guess I mean that's I think that's all the background we really need to give. Although I do want to add one one bit here, which is that um, in the wake of the horrible Manchester Arena uh, bombing uh, last week. Um, there was a change made to this episode of Doctor Who out of a sense of sensitivity. There was a reference made to terrorism. Um, that that the, one of the what, one of the aspects of the show, as we all know, is because we watched it, is that, uh, that we have three armies in this country uh, mm. uh, opposite each other, and there was some reference to the reason they be they were there is something to do with terrorism, and the whole uh, okay. reference to terrorism was pulled out, which is why. That may all that may the whole situation may have seemed a bit odd. Well, that explains yeah. one glaring plot hole. <laughs> exactly. Why? Why were? Why were the three biggest armies sitting there in this desert, basically? Yes. Facing yeah. each other, about, about to attack each other, uh, which would have been World War Three. Um, yeah. And it had something it had something to do with terrorism, and they they just had no time to reshoot anything. They just excised the scene which you know okay. that's that uh, it's, it's it's either that or we lose the whole episode which would have been a disaster even more because this episode hangs between two others right so um so they they, they, they had to make the best of a bad situation which i mean t- t- let's be i want to be absolutely clear the worst situation is the bombing itself and so what we right. do is, is we, we'd be as sensitive we, as we can to that yeah. so but i i, I yep. didn't know that and so watching this episode it's like here's yet another huge plot hole in it right this 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 looks like a situation where you just have a an, a guarded border of some kind with the u.s there for no apparent reason because russia and china do share a border but the united states doesn't share a border with either one of them right. it looks like they've got these 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 just military forces guarding a border and everything's fine but suddenly they're talking world war three right exactly and there were enough plot holes in this episode that we didn't need to add another one <laughs> so let's talk about it. so the the country they're, they're in this we start off well let's start off at the beginning the beginning which was this actually i thought worked out kind of well which was this innovative little previously on doctor who which yes. we see a lot but interspersed with uh, now, so we have previously what the events of the 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 prior episode extremists, and then now we have Bill finally on the actual date with her friend Penny, um, explaining the Doctor and the events of extremists to Penny, which was kind of this funny back and forth. And of course, Penny doesn't believe a word of it because who would? <laughs> and. Right. Uh, uh, and then, well, then it ends with instead of the Pope coming in and interrupting their their date as it did in Extremis, we have the UN Secretary General coming in, um, right? Which is a kind of a funny counterpoint. And then, I'm, but I, so I'm sitting there thinking, here's the UN soldiers and the UN Secretary General. Where's where's unit? You know, usually that was, that was my question too. Yeah, I was yeah. wondering why it was just kind of generic, if you will, UN soldiers instead of unit, who always seems to show up for stuff like this. Right. Perhaps. It- Perhaps it's because if it was unit, we would be expecting the brigadier's daughter to show up because mm. she's the new head of unit, and they wanted to parallel the secretary general of the United Nations with the pope. Right, mm. and then also, yeah. given what happens later in the episode with the secretary general, we wouldn't want that to be happening to the popular commander of unit. Yes. And then it, um, and and then it, what it ha- what you end up having is you have UN troops at this border instead of unit troops, which is different, yep. I suppose. Yep. 
Um, Initially, UNIT was um, actually part of it was operated by the United Nations. The original acronym for UNIT originally stood for United Nations Intelligence Task Force. Uh, But then apparently, apparently when they brought the the concept of UNIT back in the new series, I guess the UN didn't want to be associated with that or they didn't want to associate it with the UN. Hmm. And so they changed it from United Nations Intelligence Task Force to United Intelligence Task Force. Oh, funny. So they, they, they reinterpreted its meaning. Okay. Interesting. Well, in this case, the uh, Secretary General is, is badgering Bill because apparently the best way to get to the doctor is through whoever the companion is. Um, and he knows for some reason that she's his current companion and they're looking for the the president of the earth, which uh, was ag- something, again, we came up with during yeah. the, uh, in- the Zygon invasion episode. So we have this parallel com- going on so far with uh, okay. that prior. And let me. Yeah, and let me say, this is another huge danger sign for me, because I think making the doctor the president of Gallifrey was dicey enough, <laughs> but yeah. when he's also president of Earth, I mean, this is just over-the-top Stephen Moffat looniness, and any time they invoke the doctor as the president of Earth business, it's it, it, it just is a huge problem for me, and I'm looking forward to this going away in the Chris Chibnall era. <laughs> well, and there's, this, <laughs> there's so many other ways that they could have done this. Like, you know, basically the role is when, when there's a threat to the entire planet, we call on the doctor in a role that gives him authority to take care of it. There's so many way, titles that you could give him, so many different like, why must it be president of the Earth? And they it, it's president because it's it it's funny. Yeah. It's a it's a gag. Uh, it, right. it it sets yep. up things like Bill making the obligatory Trump joke, which we right. we yep. noticed that uh, we we they didn't make last week, um, probably because uh, the president in that episode commits suicide, and that's just too dark of a place to go uh, to make that a exactly. Trump joke. But they were but you know they were able to bring it in now, which also tells us a little bit of when this episode was filmed. It was obviously filmed after yeah. last November seventh. It, incidentally, um, you know, we had this thing uh, a couple episodes back in Oxygen, where Bill encounters a blue person, and even though she's not a racist, she is instantly interpreted as a racist because she's surprised by a blue person, even though she really doesn't have hostility towards uh, blue mm-hmm. people. Right. But here, she has. She says, "I wouldn't have even voted for him. He's orange," referring to his <laughs> hair color. So yeah. she is a ginger bigot. <laughs> she, she has a pre- prejudice against people with red hair or reddish hair, which has once in bad, bad spray tan. Don't forget that part of it. But, <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I can see why that would uh, why that would bother you, Jimmy. Uh, for those who are listening to the episode, <laughs> Jimmy is a is a proud ginger, I'm sure. But uh, uh, so um, we're told that uh, we have to get to Tumezistan, which is a uh, a familiar name because this is a made up country that Peter Harness made up for the Zygon invasion episode. So apparently Tumazistan is this nexus of alien invasions. Uh, this, this yep. you know, we, we make up this name of this sort of Southwest Asian stan country that, that we can conveniently make a, uh, a, you know, it's conveniently foreign and, and well, they got, they got sick of, they got sick of the UK. So they had to go somewhere else now. <laughs> Right, right. Yeah. Well, and and there are other similar fictional countries. Like in the Marvel Universe, there's uh, Doctor Doom's uh, Latveria instead of Latvia. In the DC Universe, there's Kurok instead of Kuwait or Iraq. 
so having a kind of fictional country that is sort of recognizable but doesn't map directly on to a real world thing. Heck, yeah. even cities like Gotham and Metropolis. Well, you know, DC uh, famously uh, their their whole shtick is is every pretty much every location in DC is not the uh, the a real world location, whereas uh, Marvel tends to place everything in a real world location. So, you know, in Marvel, you have New York and Los Angeles. In DC, you have Gotham and National City, I think it is, something like that. Well, City, Metropolis, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. Metropolis and Gotham are both sort of the light and dark sides of New York City. Right. And National City, if I recall correctly, actually, I'm thinking of Central City is kind of like, you know, Kansas City. Yeah, although um, yeah. in the TV flash, I'll, I have to point out that uh, Central City is actually no Star City is Boston. So just trying to point uh-huh, that one out. Okay. <laughs> so if you ever watch, that's f- something they're proud of. Yes. I don't think that's something they're proud of though, because Star <laughs> City isn't exactly shown too well. <laughs> I know. Well, we did drop a, a giant part of our city, and you know, in a big blast, a fake earthquake. But you know, whatever. <laughs> but whenever you see Star City on. Um, on the I'm sorry, on the arrow. Uh, whenever you see Star City, that's those are pic- uh, pictures of Boston, which is very funny to me because uh, that's, ah, where, that's cool. where I'm from. Uh, so anyway, back to Doctor Who. Um, so they they show up. Uh, they they fly to Turmesistan, um, for and like we said, we had this giant question of why are the U.S., Russian, and Chinese militaries armed to the teeth, right on top of each other. Um, I also had the questions: Why? Why are the Americans UN troops? Like, why is there a UN peacekeeper who's an army ranger, which is extremely implausible? But why? Like, it, it just seemed very odd that we it was American, Chinese, and Russian, and the Americans well, were under uh, UN control, not under U.S. presidential control. See, I didn't, yeah. I didn't get that sense that they were, though. I mean, it's the UN were there to keep the peace. And the Americans were on one side. Is kind of how I saw it. Except we never saw any other Americans other than the American general, Cur- who was a ranger, colonel, yeah. wearing a blue beret, the blue UN beret. So it was. was he wearing, oh, I missed that. I missed yeah. he was wearing the beret. Okay. Yeah. So there are situations in which you have multinational forces operating as UN peacekeepers, right? Um, and the U.S. could participate in in you know missions like that. So I don't know. Maybe the and this could have been related to to some lines that got deleted because of terrorism. Right. Maybe, you know, because Russia and China do share a border. Maybe the UN was maybe the U.S. was leading the UN peacekeeping mission between Russia and China or something. Yeah, um, yeah. That, I, I, which I, has I, happened. I mean, incidentally, yeah. in this episode, and and this kind of ties into that, um, which is that normally when they have American military on the show. The American military is being really belligerent. Yeah. And in this one, they're not. In this one, both the Chinese and the Russians are more belligerent, and the American is much more mild and passive, which is surprised me. So right. that could fit into that. The, the flaw there would be, well, then he wouldn't be able to exercise the nuclear option if he's not doing it on behalf of the American military if right. he's just a UN peacekeeper in this mission. Right. It, it's just that, you know, I, do, I don't want to get too much into the real politic of it, but um, the, the it, as someone who, you know, kind of understands a little bit of the history of these things, it's, uh, if it, in, in a conflict between Russia and China, it would be extremely unlikely to have American troops as the UN peacekeepers. It's more likely you, you'd have third world, yeah, you know, um, uh, 
Egyptians or something. Yeah, or, you know, some so Africa, South America, like so. Those were really not part of the superpower triumvirate. But it, but let's you know a little little suspension of disbelief there. I guess is is good because next we have a pyramid. <laughs> um, we have a five thousand year old pyramid, and um, I'm not sure how they know it's five thousand years years old. I, I guess they carbon dated it really quickly. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 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 and, and there's there's a line, so I mean that hooks into this where you know once the doctor and Bill get there, the doctor is taking Bill through this reasoning chain about it, yeah. and she deduces it must not be a pyramid at all; it must be an alien spaceship. And I'm going, wait, that doesn't follow at all. <laughs> this is a time travel show. You can have a five thousand year old pyramid suddenly appear out of nowhere. It's just time travel, <laughs> exactly. So so. So, I mean, I was willing to give them the 5,000-year-old pyramid bit, um, but the reasoning they did about it didn't follow. And if it is just an alien spaceship, then why do they think it's 5,000? It's a mess. Well, and this is this is kind of the the crux. And we'll get back. This will come up again and again, I feel like, in this episode. is they, Conclusions happen in this episode often because it needs to happen for the sake of the of the of the end mm-hmm. result they want not because it has an internal consistency and i know asking right. for internal consistency from the stephen moffat era science fantasy doctor who is a, is a lot but there's at least some consistency there's some sense and it gets worse i, I mean it's really yeah. it's at the end of the episode where everything's happening very fast that i that my real problem enters but at this point it's this like okay, you're you're making a conclusion that doesn't exactly follow, and we're just I gotta buy it and move on. Okay, I'll do that, and then it happens again, and it happens again, and I'm like, you gotta give me something here, guys. You gotta, you gotta write a little better than that. But that's that's my my rant on that. Um, so we have this is all before the opening sequence. I promise we won't take as long with the rest of the episode. But but so we have the maybe op- <laughs> I'm making promises I can't keep. Um. So we have the opening sequence, and we come back, and um, we have the Doctor in the TARDIS kind of picking at his guitar alone uh, and talking about the end of life coming. And, of course, it's ostensibly it's about the end of the world as predicted in the title of this episode. Um, but, of course, we know it's also about the end coming for this Doctor in this season. The, the, his, his own death and regeneration is... is if not imminent, Moving. it's it's coming. Yes, and I and as the doctor often does, he senses it. He knows it's coming for you know, somehow, perhaps because of his blindness or or, or something else. But um, you know, the the end of your life has already begun. There's a last place you will ever go, a last door you will ever walk through, that sort of thing. Um, and as he's saying that, uh, meanwhile, we're getting this introduction, a visual introduction of this scientist, Erica. Who, um, as she's leaving her, leaving her house, her reading glasses are broken, and um, and it is that small little act that brings about the end of the world uh, through a series of, uh, of of events that that are going to occur. Um, and then uh, we we the, as the doctor finishes, um, Bill is at the door of the TARDIS, telling him to come out and. He opens the door, and it turns out he's actually the, the TARDIS is on the the plane, the president of the world's plane, and, uh, and this is a great moment. <laughs> yes. I love the, I love the fact they moved it onto a plane without him noticing. That's really yeah. cool. Well, and they, we also get that callback to when Bill asked the do, the doctor in the first episode, um, 
how did you get it into your office, the TARDIS into your oh, yeah. office? And oh, yep. we, we took the window out. And so in this case, the, he asked, how'd you get it out of the office? Uh, because, of course, he knows that that's not how they got it in in the first place. Yep. And, the, and, and he the, says the windows aren't big enough. <laughs> and, and, and the UN guy says, uh, they are now. <laughs> because it's the job of soldiers to go places and break things and that's what they did (laughs) so um i thought an interesting note with it so the doctor's uh sonic sunglasses that aid him you know with giving his pseudo sight they also like give you data on the people that he's seeing Mm -hmm. and it tells us that we actually now know bill's age she's 26 uh it says there um among other data about her i just thought that was kind of interesting we know we know how old bill is Uh, by the way Billy is as nearly as a computer guy, I have a pet, big pet peeve about these sonic sunglasses <laughs> helping him see. Uh-huh. So he can use these sonic sunglasses to send a recording of everything around him. He can use these sonic sunglasses to make all the top secret information in the world go onto the internet instantly. And yet he can't hook up to a, a tablet that's held in front of him so he can see what's on the tablet itself. Right. It, it can't get the data out of the tablet. That's the d- difference. It's not so much that like I can I can buy that whatever whatever um, method he's doing that it's prov- putting giving him data that is being interpreted as uh, a pseudo site uh, like uh, frame renderings wireframe renderings of the world mm-hmm. around him. What I what I like you what I have a hard time with is that it can't get the data out of the iPad t- so that it can just even put up the words you're looking at a picture of a pyramid. Yeah, or it couldn't just yeah. show the picture on this. The sunglasses. Yeah. I mean, right. just stuff like that. They're inconsistent about that. They're also inconsistent if you look at the little pop-up boxes that he's seeing about people. There's an inconsistency about the measuring units it's giving him because one of them is metric and one of them is imperial. <laughs> and it's like, what? <laughs> I mean, give it to me one way or the other. Why are you mixing now, them? To be fair, that might be standard practice actually in the UK because there's still a lot of things. Like they still measure distance in miles when it comes to like driving. Stuff like that, right? And I think, okay. I think, or at least, at least, popular colloquialism is to use miles. You'll I hear see, someone talk about you know so yeah. many miles. I seem to recall. Well, they still and they still measure like weights of people. Sometimes you often hear it in stone oh, and that sort of stone. thing. Yeah, um, but but like pre-imperial. Yeah, yeah. So, and, and, but also, I seem to recall, and our, our our British listeners can help us with this. But uh, I seem to recall that there was a big controversy when they tried to get retail establishment when they joined the EU. Retail establishments had to give up weighing things in pounds and in favor of kilograms, and that was a big controversy. And I wonder if that right. is plays into part of that. Uh, so, so maybe it's maybe it's an inconsistency, or maybe it's just um, uh, a British. Uh, adaptation of the would expect yeah this is what they would expect to see incidentally one little really minor note about this scene is the doctor when bill shows up at the door of the tardis she can't get in and asks him if he's double locked it and this is as far as i know the first time they've ever referred to this because after the doctor started giving keys to the tardis to his companions they could always get in but apparently he's got he's locked it against enemies before, but he's never locked it against a companion in this way. And so apparently it has the ability to lock it again, I guess like a deadbolt, so that even a person with a key on the outside can't get in. Hmm. Although we don't Maybe it's know like if- a hotel a hotel room that auto locks, but then you've got the little lock that you can throw through the, from the inside that makes it so you can't yeah. use the key. 
Yeah. I wonder. We actually have never seen uh, Bill with a key. So do, does she even have a key? That uh, I mean, we know I that it's customary. Yeah, it's customary these days for the companions to have keys, and the fact she asks if he's double locked it suggests that she's just tried a key and it didn't work. Right. Um, okay, so so at this point, the doctor says something along the lines of, uh, those monk creatures I told you about, um, if they've modeled every event in human history, if they've simulated entire events streamed from day one until now, think what they'd know, think what they could do with that. And I'm thinking, if they, like... <sighs> Oh, this kind of goes back to last week. This idea of modeling entire the entirety of human history, um, it just if you too have, much. Yeah, if you have that much ability, then you know everything. Like you. And why are you Why are you interested in Earth at that point? You've got a bazillion different <laughs> scenarios of virtual worlds. Right, right, and and of course they like. Why come when the Doctor is coming to the Earth? Where he seems to be your biggest enemy. Go earlier. Uh, mm-hmm. Before the doctor shows up, so that again, it's another another potential hole in that. Um, I mean, that assumes though that if you could model all of human history, that it would turn out identical one second after the model finished. Right, right. That yes, that that there's enough chaos in the system that says you can't, you couldn't model it. I mean, you 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 have to model every eventuality, which which is. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, yeah. Uh, yeah. anyway, yeah. If you if you just want to conquer a planet, you don't need to do that, <laughs> right? That's the thing. So what? And evidently, what they were looking for was the one moment in time that would that they could go to just before the 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 definitive destruction of the planet, and that would be the moment they could make their move and ask and 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 uh, demand that uh, the Earth give over give itself over to them to be saved. That's that is apparently their uh, their plan, their end game. Meanwhile, um, you know the doctor is still bluffing his way through his blindness um, and y- y- trying not so, so that nobody knows, so that Bill doesn't know. And I'm not sh- still not sure why, and I don't think it ever gets explained. But um, we we cut to uh, this scientist uh, Erica, who by the way she has um, she's has dwarfism, the 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 the, the birth. The genetic condition of dwarfism, never mentioned, and it's not, not apparently yeah. a part of the plot, which is fine. I, I I love how they never make an issue out of that. It's that's really cool. I like that. Yeah, yeah. she's just a person. She's just another person. Um, she works for an agrofuel research company that apparently make, trying to make fuel from plants. Um, they she has a hungover partner. Yep, uh, Douglas is uh, is apparently very hungover. Um, they're growing plants in a special containment unit in the lab that requires them to go in uh, wearing, you know, uh, bunny suits, pressure suits, and there are airlocks. Um, and then the monks are spying on them through CCTV cameras in the lab. Um, and and this is this is you know the the monks have determined this is the end of the world coming up. Um, so I I, I want to get back to the the lab bit <laughs> when it comes when when they're really when when the uh, Agrofuel hits the fan, but uh, I don't want to do that right now. Um, unless you have, to, I mean, if you have something you want to say now, but I like, the, I want to get to the problems of this whole setup uh, yeah. later on. But mm-hmm. yeah, well, okay. So one thing, since we've touched on the doctor is blind here, he's at the pyramid. Nardol is kind of comically narrating what's happening to the doctor. Bill says, "Why are you doing that? What are you doing?" And he says, "I'm updating him." You know, yeah. but it's it's becoming transparent to Bill that something's going on with the doctor. But um, 
to get back to this pyramid thing, this is another example of this is just comically over-the-top writing. You know, they've put this allegedly 5,000-year-old pyramid that's really an alien spaceship here at this crucial point. Why is it a pyramid? You know, the doctor says it's sending a message. Well, there are a lot better ways to send messages that are a lot easier (laughs) and a lot less random and a lot less confusing than using a pyramid. So I think it's just a a visual image that Stephen Moffat or – the other writer had in mind that, wow, that would be a big dramatic image, the pyramid at the end of the world. Let's use that, even though it really doesn't make any sense. Well, it kind of feels like they came up with the title of the episode first. Yeah, and then Mm -hmm. the rest of it is trying to, okay, it's kind of the end of the world, but not really, and it's kind of a pyramid, but not really. It feels like they're trying to rationalize what they thought would be a cool title rather than having an actual intelligible on-screen reason for this. Right. And the doctor says the message is bring it. And so he goes up to the pyramid to to bring it, apparently. Is that the message? Maybe the message is, okay, uh, tombs are important. Or maybe the message is... If if you fight this battle, you'll... Or, you know... Maybe the message is if you fight this battle, you will all die because of this This pyramid as a symbol of death. I mean, yeah. it's such an ambiguous message that maybe, maybe you know, that's, that's why it's a bad message. Right. doesn't say bring it to me. <laughs> so um, the doctor does go up to the pyramid, uh, approaches, and Nar- I like the fact that Nardole, um, his communications device is the, the peg on his coat, this old-fashioned coat that he's constantly wearing it's this wooden peg that he holds up uh to talk into and bill kind of looks at him funny like what are you what are you talking to your peg for um <laughs> just, i think it's hysterical like there's no like there's no technology that they give them, no prop that they give them they just they just have matt yeah. lucas talking it's to just your wooden a little, peg. little little peg with a push to talk button apparently <laughs> yeah. Yeah. well it, it's like arthur c clark said you know any any sufficiently advanced technology will be indistinguishable from old clothes <laughs> or would have said if he saw this episode exactly yeah. exactly <laughs> so uh the monk comes out as the doctor approaches and uh, explains that um they'll end up taking over the world not by force but when they're asked to um and, and so which which a very you know doctor seems thinks is very odd uh and then all the clocks in the world including the sonic sunglasses clock and uh, everyone's smartphone uh, are reset to 11:57 p.m., which they the doctor determines is the doomsday clock. Um, <laughs> three minutes to midnight is a is sort of a, it is a sort of um, if you're of a certain age, I think, especially if you've lived if you lived during the Cold War, especially uh, mm-hmm. it's a it's a, a familiar um, metaphor uh, that the, yeah. the the union of concerned it, scientists, I think, scientists. It is? yeah, yeah, there there were a group of scientists. They set up this doomsday clock to measure how close they thought we were to originally to having a nuclear war right um in this episode the doctor says it's about not uh, certain disasters like global catastrophe and actually they have broadened it so now it doesn't just include nuclear war it also includes all kinds of different things including global warming Right. And and so it's it's a lot of people have said this thing has just become politicized and it's not really a useful alarm bell anymore. Right. When it was very um, focused, actually, it was it was useful. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, actually, it uh, if you check it right now, it's not three minutes to midnight. It's two and a half. So, yeah. <laughs> so at the, at the time like, they would have filmed this, it would have been three minutes. But the beginning of this year in January, they moved it up a half minute. Gee, what half happened in January? So, actually, the real – yeah, <laughs> this isn't political at all. Actually, the real world is more is in more crisis than this Doctor Who episode. So <laughs> At least at the beginning. Yeah. Well, and the, the clock starts uh, at the moment that um, Erica the Scientist asks uh, hungover Doug – to, to take over for her in injecting these chemicals into the plants because her re- she can't see f- because we're reading glasses. And f- uh, Doug, who's fuzzy-headed uh, from his hangover, and ends up... Um, it, it, it's in the, Later on, the dialogue says he enters the decimal point wrong, but he doesn't actually enter the decimal point wrong here. He just enter, he double-enters a digit. Um, so he, uh, instead of 18.9, whatever measurements of this chemical, he enters 118.9. Um, and that's what starts, that's what starts the problem. Uh, meanwhile, back to the doctor, he decides very uncharacteristically decides that violence is the answer to the, uh, to the monks. In fact, it surprises Nardole, who's about to say, well, violence doesn't solve anything. And the doctor says, well, it's going to solve it here. And calls yeah, for- I, I, I like the fact that, you know, Nardole gives us the standard, you know, pacifist trope and the doctor will not confirm it for him. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, OK, there's some sensibility. Sometimes violence is the answer. Right. And so he calls for a coordinated attacks on the pyramid to demonstrate strength. Um, Which makes no sense. <laughs> exactly. You have this alien thing. It's not an immediate threat. You don't attack it. Right. Let's let's poke the bear. Let's you know the bear's sleeping. Yeah. It may be a threat some but some at some point. So let's poke it to show it we mean business. Um, the it's also odd that we have the uh, we have a, an American B fifty two bomber and a Russian sub. We have no no sense of what the Chinese have contributed to this attack. In fact, the Chinese seem to be all but forgotten except for their their uh, female general. Um, so, but the monks. Deal quite handily with the bomber and with the the sub. Uh, they they, although I think the submarine had three three crew members on it, which is very odd. Um, yeah, there are only three apparently. <laughs> they may have been the firing team or something. <laughs> Everyone else is still on the sub that's stuck in the ground like a lawn dart. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the the monks now say that they're they're willing to talk uh, after this uh, this aborted attack. Um, and so the military leaders and the secretary general, they go into the pyramid with the doctor and Bill, and the monks give them this vision of the earth one year from now when all life on the planet has been destroyed. And everyone is, is, is repulsed. They're, they're, they're shocked and horrified, except the doctor, who says, well, it's not my first dead planet, which is a, a, course, a reference to um, the, the first Dalek episode, right? The dead planet. Yep. Well, there's that, and also just lots of other things in Doctor Who. He's been to a lot of destroyed worlds. Well, that's true. Um, but that is a good catch. Um, also, these people, I mean, I guess I can rationalize it with, okay, maybe because there's a telepathic circuit here, maybe it was extra super convincing. But just because sh- someone shows me movies of a barren wasteland doesn't convince me this is about to happen. <laughs> Exactly. Certainly not enough to to voluntarily try to offer the world to these people like the UN Secretary General is about to do. Well, and that's and in fact even more so. I mean, there's an there's obviously an agenda at work in these monks that, that like they they it's in their vested interest to try to manipulate me to show me something that 
pro- might not well, actually happen, but to convince me it's going to. Well, yeah. and the, the Secretary General said, you know, I, I feel, felt that it was real. You know, so yeah. there, while we saw the images that, you know, that we could, you could argue that the, those who were viewing it, there was almost that sense of uh, suspension of belief, maybe. I don't know. I don't know how you want to yeah. put it. But. It still makes me want to show some DVDs and, you know, try to see what I could get in exchange for that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, we could do a little headcanon and say that what happened was is they were they were brainwashed uh, uh, somehow, and that that would explain their their subsequent behavior. That there was some brainwashing of the human beings going on to convince them, and that would be that would be our headcanon. Um, it would it would fit, but it it's not it's not in the text of the of the script. Uh, yeah. So and then we get this this with the first time I really where the monks start to talk about um, to save the earth, they must be asked. Power must consent. Uh, we get th- we get told this a lot. Those who hold power must consent to their dominion. And then the doctor asks why, and they say we must be wanted, we must be loved. To rule through fear is inefficient. But but I'm left sitting there going, so, okay. So let's say that the the secretary general loves the monks. Maybe he's, maybe he's really he's convinced that he loves the monks. Does that convince everyone to love the monks? Like how is that still not ruling through fear? <laughs> Right. Also, also, when they ask him, "Do you have power?" He's the Secretary General of the United Nations. <laughs> Heck, no. He has no power. He doesn't have any power. He's yes. a figurehead. When, he's when I was in high school, we did. When I was in high school, we did one of these junior UN type things where I you know was the too. model of the UN. The UN is so dysfunctional. The only po- I don't think he even has power to order his own coffee in the morning, much less actually power <laughs> over the world. <laughs> right. I mean. The UN has no power whatsoever. None. Well, he, he can't order anyone to do anything. I mean, there's this this very little. I mean, he can cajole. He can. He has the power of 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 co- not coercion of, uh, of persuasion. Persu- sorry, thank, yes, thank you. That's the word. Of, persuasion is is the word. I mean, it's that's it. I mean, he he's, he can't make this. In fact, the Security Council has more power than the Secretary General does, and the, the Security Council operates. I mean, technically under his purview, but it does whatever it wants because it's the U.S., right. Russia, and China, essentially. Um, also, in, in the Doctor Who universe, okay, so you've got the Secretary General of the United Nations here. He's the one in power when he's standing next to the President of Earth. <laughs> right. That's the yeah. guy you want to be talking to. <laughs> exactly. Well, and then the Doctor says something here which is uh, somewhat odd at first blush. I don't know. Maybe there's a certain sense, a certain logic in it. He says, "Fear is temporary, but love is slavery." And yeah, that's just weird. Now, um, now, as I was thinking about it, I'm like, well, maybe what he's saying is, is not so much that not that's supposed to be pejorative toward love, but only the sense of that when we love something, we're captured by it. We're we, you know, mm-hmm. when you if you ever seen someone stupid in love, like you know, a, a young person who's infatuated and. And they can't eat or sleep, and they just get so. In a sense, they're 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 a slave to the one that they love, and so there's a sense in which we are we are held captive by love. I guess, mm-hmm. um, yeah. But it doesn't really well, develop that. That doesn't really get. Nothing really happen, happens with that phrase here. And maybe this is supposed to be developed next week, um, as we see a world in which the 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 monks have control and everyone quote-unquote loves them of some sort but i don't know i don't know also i and since we're on to kind of since we got the mention of love here it's worth bringing in something that we actually talked about a little bit about last week um 
you pointed out, Dom, that when the monks talk, they just open their mouths and we hear the words come out. Mm-hmm. And I saw a uh, an interview with the actor who plays the lead monk, and he said that was one of the specific instructions he was given for how to play the monk in terms of body language is another one was like always keep your hands together unless you're unless you're using them to do something but he was told specifically when you when you're supposed to be talking just open your mouth and that is something that as you pointed out Dom is characteristic of the Mondasian cybermen and so it raised a question of could since we know the cyber Mondasian cybermen are coming back for the finale, could these sort of be the Mondasian Cybermen? And I think that's a fascinating theory. Um, <clears throat> I think well, there were a couple they, of things in this episode that t- potentially tied into that. One yeah. is the fact that they look like corpses, and yeah. that gets pointed out. They say we've, you know, you look like corpses to us, and they say, well, we've taken these forms to look lo- so to relate to you. And and at that point, someone says, you look like corpses to us. And then they say, you look like corpses to us, which could suggest kind of they're different ends of the same species life cycle or something, Hmm. which – and it could also be, well, we're appearing without our Cyberman getup on to relate to you a little bit better. But since Cybermen without their getup sometimes look like corpses, as we saw in the whole Death in Heaven arc. Um, that could play into this. But then what's notably different than any Cyberman thing ever is we need to be loved because the Cybermen are like totally down on emotion. They don't like emotion. They think it's wasteful, blah, 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 the usual thing. Um, and so if these are Cybermen and there's some elements pointing in that direction that would be consistent with that, they must be some kind of weird experimental offshoot of the rest of the Cybermen because they're into this love thing. <laughs> Father Corey, do you have anything to add on that one? Well, I was I was going to make the comment about them, uh, you know, that they they took on that appearance. Um, you know, the one thing with the love though is is more the. Um, I wonder if if it's you know again not talking about so much as the emotion of love more than like like a um like the connections that we make that we call love you know not so much right. emotional but those those bonds that we develop um i'm just mm-hmm. kind of thinking off the top of my head just because i mean you know of course we use the word love but we mean so much more than just the emotional feeling of right love you know the desire you know we would call you know the desire to have the best for someone else yeah. love for them you know, that's how we define it a lot of times is, you know, willing the best for the other for their sake, you know, well, it, is it, one definition we use for love. So it, things like that. Yeah. Well, it also kind of connects with an idea that, you know, that love is not just an emotional response. Um, that, that's, again, like you say, it's a type of love. But that true love, d- deep and lasting love, is an act of the will. And maybe that's what the monks are trying to get at is right. they need you to make an act of the will to love them. And then once you do that, then you've creating this bond that's that's far and above uh, a bond that's through fear, and it it may yeah, to be fair. They're not going to. No, go ahead. I was going to say to be fair though. I mean, and we'll talk about this here in a little bit. But the act of love that is done to make this commitment is not a love for the monks. Well, that's yeah. that's so we'll that's, that's a big hole. Yes, that's the big hole coming up. 
<laughs> even before we get to that big hole though there's there's this is this is where the episode is starting to go wrong on the psychology of of the central plot point it just like in the god complex where it misunderstood faith here it it's 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 playing fast and loose with the term love and shifting its definition over time because if if you if you mean by love not romantic love but willing the good of the other well they're not asking for humanity to will the good of the monks right that's not that's like whole other level of abstraction that they never set up in this episode and and so i don't i you know even even though the three of us are familiar with that understanding of love they're not – they don't do anything to convey that to their audience of popular television watchers who are going to understand love in terms of the – much more in terms of the emotion. Yes. And um, and if that's what love is, then they're going about getting it the wrong way, you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. demanding <laughs> – Exactly. Demanding – ownership of earth on the first date i mean at least let's have candles and flowers first <laughs> you know? um so this is it's a little like proposing marriage when you just met somebody and it's that's, a little, this is yeah. not how you go about getting love it's not love it's stalking the monks are stalking yeah. us um so the secretary general uh loses loses his cool and decides that it's time you know okay uh this is this i have to give consent uh let the monks take over um, but the the monks they do this test is uh, is your consent pure and by pure is it made uh, is it made out of love no of course not it's made out of fear and so that kills him um, yeah rather, oh and go ahead I was gonna say it kills it it's it's unclear whether the monk kills him because it's impure or whether the test itself kills him. Um, as a consequence of it being impure, I, it was uh, there was a uh, the, yeah. the 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 agency in the in the death of the of the secretary general is unclear. I'm not sure it's important, but uh, it was unclear. Well, they do later say the monks burned him, even though it's more of a disintegrating effect, and the effect yeah. looks cool. But yeah. here's another problem on the psychological level: as soon as you ask, "Is your intention pure?" it's going to become impure. Because you're going to start doubting, and that's it's, it's like on that yep. Star Trek episode. Nobody think of anything happening bad, or it will miraculously happen. <laughs> right. The Enterprise would have blown up at that moment, or, or, or Ghostbusters um, with the state of Marshall Man. Yes, exactly. <laughs> you beat me to it, Father Corey. So uh, the the doctor the doctor offers up his um, his moment of hubris here. He's the uh, planet Earth has been doomed before. Guess what happened? Me. Um, and meanwhile, as he's standing there, uh, blind as a bat, uh, unable to see anything. Um, but we we back to the lab, and here's here's where things go wrong in more ways than one, uh, both with um, the end of the world, but also with the end of this plot. Uh, the giant plot holes begin. <laughs> uh, well, they've already begun, but the giant plot holes related to the lab begin. Um, Douglas and Erica go into the clean room uh, because something is uh, there. Something has gone wrong, or something's about to go wrong, and uh, Douglas takes off his helmet. You, you're in the clean room, like you're wearing it for a reason. You're in the clean, like yeah. oh, I was going to get sick. Then go out, like like there's a reason yeah. you're supposed to be wearing a helmet. Uh, you, why are you and, wearing suits at all? And, and, and right. if these are so dangerous, I mean, these aren't even vacuum sealed. These are not pressure suits they're wearing. That thing's just draped over his head. <laughs> exactly. And then something does go wrong. The the plants start dying in this really odd way, like really quickly. So what does he do? 
He grabs an open container of dirt from the, the from the plants and then runs out of the airlock with it and leaves the airlock doors open. And by the way, there's no scrubbing shower in the airlock. Whatever's on your suit that's protecting you, quote unquote, goes with you out the airlock. There could be yeah. anything on the suit. So what's the point of the clean room then? And I'm sitting there like I have a I have a friend. Uh, she's a she's a, a research scientist, and I'm, and she's stopped watching Dark Two because of certain. She just couldn't stand Matt Smith at one point, I guess. <laughs> so I asked her, had you had you seen this episode? She's like, no. Do you want me to watch it? And like, don't no, because you will lose your mind at at yeah. this giant plot hole. Um, yeah. That, the, only, the, only, the only part that I will excuse is the guy taking off his helmet because he's so hungover, hung he's over. not thinking straight. That's the only thing I could think of. Yeah, I mean that, and that's yeah. and that's that's such a such a trying to patch the whole. It's not even funny. Even <laughs> even if we give them that though, now that we're talking about the lab, there's just so much wrong here. Right. Um, you you have you have people running back and forth. As Dom points out, there's no scrubbing showers. There's no other method of sterilization. There's you know if you ever watch say the the Andromeda strain. That's how you take seriously a biological threat. They've got all kinds of different layers of protection to kill anything, and that's what you would expect in okay. in a high danger situation like this. In this, we've got people. We've got uh, the doctor and I forget her name, but the young scientist woman, Erica, running yeah. Erica running. They don't tell her. Uh, tell us her name until way late in the episode. But you yeah. got Erica and the doctor running around, and they're planning to leave this building. Apparently, without any form of decontamination, right? It, and and it, it's like, okay, you're in this clean room, and you're getting those germs all over you, whether you put your hand in the dirt or not. At this point, um, well, even, but the doctor they even show the doctor rubbing his hand against the the platform, uh, the the desk where the plants yeah. are on. And and the whole the uh, the whole thing is okay. We need to sterilize this by using the ethanol the plants are making. Okay, maybe, but this well, is a lab. You don't have a way to sterilize it built into it. Well, also there's this this the the the, the central problem here, which is um, the the way that the the, the this biochemical pro, uh, uh, epidemic is going to get out is because the 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 system vents the air of the lab to the atmosphere every 30 minutes. Well, right. why? Yeah. Like now Yeah. That. There there could be there could be an explanation which is is maybe all of the clean room stuff is designed to prevent things from getting into the lab. Maybe that's the whole idea See, is, is that's, it's that was kind of what I was thinking. Yeah, that maybe and so um you don't need to scrub them going out because they it's all about bringing stuff in, but then you need them to be scrubbing coming in but okay and venting out isn't a problem because it's about keeping things from getting in but nevertheless just the 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 <laughs> the, the giant plot holes it just feels like everything is constructed in the way it is in order to make we, we in order to get a doomsday we have to have right. all of these things overlooked and i just don't like having to have uh yeah. like the the plot constructed that way even given that this is an unexpected thing the designers of the lab did not foresee, they are trying to foresee disasters, and this is a very slapdash, slap-together doomsday. It doesn't hang mm-hmm. together if you think about it. Right. Exactly. That the, 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 It wasn't well thought out. It wasn't the... Yeah. So, with 
moving on from there. Yeah, because <laughs> um, we're gonna have to come, come back to it as we as we finish out the plot uh, the plot of this episode. Uh, back to we get the doctor. Um, we're back with the the military types, and they they the, they decide the generals. They decide well. The way to solve the situation is we pledge not to fight one another. Uh, we're not going to fight one another. And they shake hands, and I'm like, who who, who, who in the world cares whether three generals in Turkmenistan are well, was, like they're not in control of the militaries of their countries? Where, where was well, the John they, Lennon song? Yeah. <laughs> All I am saying is give peace a chance. Yeah. Well, the, and it's supposed I, to be some I, big I, thing. The, the reference was nice. I especially liked the fact they gave that line to the American guy, uh, just because of how they normally portray the American military on this show. Right. Uh, but um, the uh, the it, it, they do allude to to the fact that they're not in control of the armies, and they say, "Well, I'm willing to disobey." So even if yeah. they're saying at that point, even if we got the orders from our superiors to go to war, we're not going to let that happen. Um, and that at least would work for a time until they could bring in other forces. <laughs> but 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 then they notice, hey, it didn't work. Every the doomsday clock is still advancing. Right, and so the doctor kind of deduces that the pyramid is a misdirection. That this that everything in Turkmenistan in the pyramid, the armies is all a misdirection, which is well, <laughs> right. Okay. Um, so and, and then he does this thing where and. It, Father Corey, you insightfully attributed this to the sonic sunglasses. I didn't get that. So all from from what I'm seeing, he's just walking around putting his hand on computer screens. Well, he then, touched the, the brim of his glasses every yeah, time he did that. I, I, That's I why I said that. it was the sunglasses. Yeah, yeah. and yeah, I was, you were very perceptive there. I missed that. So yeah. for me, as a slightly less attentive viewer at this moment – I'm just seeing him put put his hands on screens and they're flickering, which makes no sense to me. And then at the end of it, he announces he's put all the world's classified files online, start Googling. And it's, gah, I mean, that's <laughs> I want that bandwidth. over the top writing. I want yeah. that bandwidth. If he could take, knowing how, you know, a good estimate of how much data is in top secret databases just for the United States military, not counting and Russia and China and UK and everybody. I want that kind of data where in you know ten seconds you can download the whole thing. I know I that's it's, it's crazy. Just in the United <laughs> States, there's gonna be every phone call in the world for the last fifteen years. Right. You know? Well, and so you Googling just put all that online? Well, it was all yeah. this. It was very quickly, like we, like so, very quickly intuited and narrowed down the the threat to a so a biological, biochemical threat. Like we just, they didn't need to 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 look to to Google it. They yeah. could have just pulled it out of thin air. Yeah. Um, right. <laughs> of of all the possible things, and I guess it's not a bad thing. Like uh, you know, an epidemic or some other. Um, that's usually when we talk about end of the world doomsday sort of things. We either talk about a, a planet killer asteroid or uh, an epidemic of a of a of a virulent strain of a disease that we have no no cure for and and, and no way to stop. I, so I am, it's not it's not a, it, that's not unreasonable, I suppose. I, I am surprised they didn't throw in the obligatory global warming. Well, maybe, but probably not. You know, something <laughs> like that. Too slow. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. The, the the thing that this gets to one of my writing criticisms of this show there it, it, it's not just Stephen Moffat and I like a lot of what Stephen Moffat has done I, I I you know he's done a lot of good things but he and Russell T Davis get into this braggadocio mode of over the top 
writing where the the doctor is just doing these shockingly impossible things just for shock value. Like mm-hmm. I've just put every classified file in the world online. <laughs> really, you know, it, yeah. it, it it just it's unnecessary because as you point out, Dom, they then just use process of elimination to figure out it's probably a biological threat. So all you needed to do was say, okay, we figured out it's a biological threat. I'm giving you access to biological databases of projects underway. Let's start trying to narrow it down from there. Right. And you didn't need the over-the-top, every classified file in the world thing. I mean, that was just it, – it's unnecessary, and it, it, it's a kind of dramatic bloat where yes. you just ramp up the stakes to 11 constantly – and for no reason other than shock value, and I think it's just bad writing. Well, and it sort of turns the doctor into a magician. He's, he's, he's he performs a magical wave of the hand, in this case almost literally, uh, and and yeah. these impossible things happen. Whereas you know you could keep it within the realm of believability by by narrowing it down a bit. Now, at this moment, we get one of my favorite lines of the episode, where the doctor says, you know, when he's trying to figure out like, what do we depend on to live. And the and Nardole says, "Air, water, food, beer, just like that." Like beer. <laughs> said, adds beer in the end. Of it. I just I love that line. <laughs> so, um, and then so while everyone's googling, we have this banter that starts between the generals who begin talking about the accepting the offer of the monks, not out of fear, but out of strategic reasons. Which you know, well, I'm, I'm just fear. Okay, so see, I'm not sure what the difference is. Um, yeah. Uh, the, also, uh, also, this is the moment where all of a sudden everyone needs to start reconsidering the opinion and universally disagree with the doctor. It, it, and it just starts magically happening one after another. They, hey, maybe the monks are right. And it's just more formulaic writing. This is happening not because it's psychologically plausible, but because they need it to happen for plot reasons. Because, well, but this is yeah. the way this sort of plot goes. This is sort of a formula. Uh, for this sort of episode. And that's, that's again, like you say, lazy writing. The doctor says here, you know, being right is easy. We need to win. And I'm not sure what, what he actually even means by that phrase. It's a sort of stock phrase that we're getting. You know, he's speaking in, in a sort of a platitude. And I'm not sure, like, it's the right thing to do. Being right is easy. We need to win. Uh, are, are we, are we yeah. is it a relativist sort of like, or utilitarian attitude that you're bringing up here? I, I'm sure. So uh, Bill says she wouldn't make the deal if she had a choice, but they don't. Um, and this is where right. we start so to see the even roots. The doctor's, yeah. Even the doctor's own companion is now disagreeing with him. What pathos. Yes. And, and, and this is the seeds of what, what Bill is going to do later uh, uh, at this moment. Um, and then the Nardol gets, has a doctor. He's about to reveal you know, that he's blind to, you know, to Bill. Um, and then as he's about to, oh, he's a strike of brilliance. We need to blind the monks. And so and this is actually not a bad little gimmick they get here, uh, which yeah. is um, he and Tar- he and Nardole go to the TARDIS while Bill goes with the generals. Um, and the thing that the doctor comes up with is, we'll shut down the ca- all the cameras of all the, you know, all the labs because the, the monks must be monitoring the one lab. And then the one camera that comes back on, that's the one that the monks are watching. And that's where we'll go. 
that that was actually yeah. a clever little bit. I like that one. It, that was it, probably it, one of the better logic points in the episode. One of the better ones, but it's so they were so fortunate that the aliens weren't using their own independent micro drones to monitor these labs <laughs> that they were relying yeah. on human CCTVs. And it's so lucky they didn't just turn them all back on like yes, before. Exactly. That's that is actually the that's like the, I said, the whole it was I saw. One of the better it doesn't mean it was good logic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that that was the I didn't think of the the micro drones thing, but I did think of like. I hope they don't turn them all back on at once. Um, so they go to the lab in Yorkshire, where uh, where Erica is, and um, they they pop out, and then uh, he the doctor sends Nardol back to the TARDIS to stay safe because apparently Nardole has human lungs that he didn't realize, um, and Nardole collapses, uh, but doesn't die, um, and. Why does he collapse but not die? Well, I think we saw him breathing later on, but maybe that's—I don't know. But why? Well, at least at least he didn't turn into the pile of sludge right. like he, poor he, Douglas did. He didn't become the the Douglas goo. Um, so, <laughs> but why but notice does, what they're doing here? They're yeah. isolated. They've pulled. They've they've pulled Bill away from the doctor. Now they're pulling Nardol away from the doctor. Then they're going to pull Erica away from the doctor. So he ends up alone. Well, that's what yeah. I feel like is is the is the reason the only reason that Nardole collapses here is so that we can conveniently have the doctor be in a situation where um, his blindness is is puts him in a like it's it's basically convenient to setting up the the yeah. the, the, the the scene where he's about to die as opposed to there's a there's a valid plot reason for why this happens. Right. Exactly, because otherwise he could just say Nardole, I need you to beam into this room with the TARDIS and take me out. Exactly. Right. Or uh, like he was going to do, have Nardole you know, use the closed circuit TV in the room, the camera in the room to look at the numbers and tell the doctor where to turn them. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So it it, but it, you know, conveniently Nardole collapses. Uh, you know, it, for convenient for the plot device anyway. Um. So, um, we have the the revelation that the the air is going to vent the atmosphere. The the doctor decides to build a bomb to destroy it all, to, to vaporize it all. Um, meanwhile, speaking of vaporize, the the generals have made their way into the monks, and they we we get, we consent to give the earth to you out of uh, strategic reasons. Um, and as we know, it's you know as we saw that still is not love. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, and now the the monks turn to the to Bill, and she's like, "I've got no power," and they say, "You are the doctor's representative." You have the greatest power of all. Um. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Implausibility is there on a couple of levels. Um, mm -hmm. uh, I mean, number one, if if they recognize the doctor as the ultimate power, whether that's as president of Earth or just as the doctor, um, then they should be talking to him and should have been all along. Right. Um, you don't turn to this person who, as by her own admission, has no power. Just because she happens to be this the doctor's companion, that doesn't make any sense. Um, I'll give you a, I'll give you a scenario that where it does where which is okay. they've modeled this this whole situation not just up to the lab problem but right up to this moment and knew that that this uh, everything that would happen and that they would have Bill alone and the doctor separated from her and in danger and so that's why that they've manipulated the situation in order to get bill here okay but uh, so fine but then 
uh, how do they expect this love to benefit them? I mean, as uh, as as and this, you know, we're about to talk about this anyway. But yep. she doesn't love the monks; she loves no. the doctor. Exactly. And how how does that translate into they're going to be able to rule the world efficiently? Right. This is the this is the the ultimate reason that the that the, everything breaks down is we are told one thing at the at the beginning that that the the monks need us to love them in order to rule the world, and then we're just totally everything's just shifted under our feet, and we're told now we're told something completely different, and that's the yep. problem. They, I mean, they should have rewritten this if they felt if they felt this was a better ending, then they should have rewritten the the, the earlier part where they told us something different, and that's the problem. Yeah, and it just doesn't make it. Sure, if you have a population that loves you, okay, great. Maybe that we've never actually had that in, in, in you know, in world history. I mean, there's always some element of coercion in government, but I suppose in a paradisical environment where you have a society based on love, that might result in greater efficiency in ruling. But I, I you know, I guess that'll be what it's like in heaven. So good, I right. can concede that in principle, but. But they aren't doing anything to set that up for us here. Mm-mm. Well, and then just the idea that Bill Bill sacrifices the world to save the mm-hmm. doctor. She like she sacrifices seven billion people. She puts them in control of this uh, uh, essentially um, um, uh, omnipowerful uh, set of beings, right? For the sake of the doctor, and th- and then she says, "Well, okay, now you better save us because." You know, well, uh, she so she is kind of experimenting. I mean, yeah. or not experimenting, but she is planning on the doctor ultimately saving the day. So, mm-hmm. but then she's doing this for tactical reasons. She's using strategy, just like the generals who got yeah, exactly right. Right, and the, so the, and it it's a convenient device for getting the doctor his sight back. Okay, which then happens magically with no treatment. Right, right. Um, so notice they 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 can magically cure the doctor's eyesight with no visible mechanical intervention, but they need human CCTV cameras to monitor what's happening in the lab where they do it. <laughs> right. <laughs> and and so we close out with the 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 monk saying, um, "Enjoy your sight, doctor. Now see our world." Um, and that's it. And now we're we're at the next episode, and we know that. Um, and I can play the the sound of the the trailer. But um, but just to kind of wrap up this episode, th- we know that Missy is going. It gets out of the vault in the next episode. That's sort of the idea. And uh, this is what we've been working for. And it feels like that these last two episodes have been constructed specifically for the for, for the let's get Missy back. <laughs> that yeah. that that's been really the 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 aim of these, and and that they they don't really stand on their own. And I feel mm-hmm. like I mean. Th- I feel like the contrarian. I like. The, I think that maybe the three of us agree. But when I listen to or, or read what other Who fans are, are are talking about these two episodes, they they like it. They they love them. Um, there's a lot less criticism. But I, I just don't I like, feel like I they like, stand. I like the previous one okay with the whole Inception like structure of mm-hmm. the different layers. That's I thought true. that was okay. Yeah. Um, it's this episode right. that I hate, and I think this episode is of the season worst episode ever the the other episodes in this season have they've had ups and downs and even this one has some good points like i like the opening sequence with the transitioning between the previously and the now that's neat i like the the parallel with the uh the 
secretary general interrupting the date rather than the pope. That was a nice callback. Uh, there are individual things, the you know, air, food, water, beer. There are nice elements in this episode, yep. but it's a massive step down from the previous ones. And you know, one thing I want to point out, kind of that last scene where the you know, the aliens are saying, "Now, Doctor, see our." world you see the doctor through the glass and the flames are reflecting against the glass you know uh kind of that imagery of hell is descending to earth basically right or coming to earth basically you know um, yeah. oh and also you know that was an accident you know that that they did that on purpose to get that imagery of the earth is yeah. going to be burning basically also in that lab fire which then starts to me it looks like okay number one this wouldn't have sterilized the entire lab and number two, the doctor could have survived that. He should, just should have hid behind a bench. <laughs> well, yeah. well, also, uh, anything that was in that lab is now in the doctor's clothes. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. yeah, we pointed that one out before. Yeah. Yeah. You, you know, Father Corey, you make actually an interesting point, and I wonder if the parallelism is, is, is uh, intentional. But in a way, mm-hmm. you could look at these three episodes as the Divine Comedy. You know, um, the the the. The previous world, the 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 computer modeled world of extremists, was in a way um, uh, purgatorio. No, I would have almost said it would be heaven. It would be um, so uh, reverse the divine comedy. You're saying? Yeah, it would be. It would be more like it was a it was a perfect world. It was heaven, uh, like a a computer simulated world that started to fall apart. But in the beginning, it was sort of a perfect world, and then. Um, purg- this would be more purgatorio, and then the next week is more. Um, Inferno. 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 I don't know if that maps well, it was, uh, perfectly or not, but it's, it's something well, it that came to me. Definitely purgatory for us to watch it. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. Hopefully yeah. next week won't be hell. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now, what I hope we don't get is that everything that so far in this episode and the next one were just computer simulations as well. Uh, like, you know, sort of the the Matrix, you're still in the Matrix uh, uh, nonsense. Uh, hopefully it's that's not. <laughs> yes. So, um, so speaking of next week, uh, the next episode is called "The Lie of the Land," um, which is an interesting, which, which actually could fit in with what you just proposed, right? Uh, because it, because usually the phrase is "the lay of the land," which means how the 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 the, the geographical makeup of the place. But yeah, the the lay of the land metaphorically is the way things are. This right. is the lay of the land. That, but the lie of the land could mean the whole land is a lie. Right. That is that is a it, from a metaphorical standpoint that would be the incorrect grammatical form. So the that lie would literally mean to 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 lie to tell an untruth. Compared to Veritas, which is interesting. Uh, so let's listen to the sound of the trailer, and uh, we, maybe if we have any thoughts, we can briefly talk about those uh, afterward. I woke up and the monks were here, and they've always been here. All that we believe now is a lie. I want to speak to her. All you have to do is find whoever opened the door to the monks and just kill them. I'm sorry your plus one doesn't get a happy ending. All anyone's seen of the Doctor in the last six months are those broadcasts he does. I have joined the monks. And that last bit was uh, Bill pulling a gun on the Doctor after saying he's joined the monks and uh, apparently shooting him, but we don't know for sure. Um, So we have Missy, we have uh, a world that's of gray, everyone's dressed in dark gray uh, clothing, um, and the doctor has been making broadcasts of some sort. Um, mm-hmm. 
and and apparently has joined the monks. He says, uh, "We'll see." That won't last. <laughs> yes. I yeah. Also, uh, so you a couple of quick thoughts about it. Um, the everything we believe in is a lie. The monks have always been here from day one. Those could both play into the "this is all a simulation" still theory. Mm-hmm. Um, Missy then talks about find the one who opened the door to the monks and kill them. That's the solution. Well, okay, that's presumably Bill, but it also mm-hmm. could be the doctor, which is why mm-hmm. the Bill then shoots the doctor, uh, apparently does. Um, but that could relate to the they may actually pay off. We'll have to see. They may pay off the how does loving the doctor help them rule the world efficiently. Maybe there's some kind of emotional connection through which that kind of love will enable them to govern this virtual reality or something, which is why then killing the one who opened the door to them would sever the link and solve the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we would be led to believe that the one is Bill because she's the one who who actually does the deed, and then we have Missy saying, "Sorry, your plus one doesn't have uh, a happier ending." The plus <laughs> one presumably would be the doctor's plus one, Bill. Right. Um, so, so a number of elements there. It'll be interesting to see what they pick up on. So. Um Yes, that'll be interesting. Uh, you got me thinking. <laughs> so, but uh, uh, so Ed, that's it for us. I mean, is there anything, anything else you want to add? Uh, last thoughts. Uh, otherwise, we'll wrap it up. Um, what did What did you all think of the pyramid at the end of the world? I have to say, after our last week's episode uh, uh, where we talked about extremists, we got a lot of great feedback on Facebook. Um, a lot of good discussion. Um, in fact. Um, a uh, great podcast. Uh, uh, someone I've listened to on his podcast, Wayne Henderson, has a podcast. And oh, I'm sorry, Wayne. Now I'm blanking on the title of it. And if I can find it real quick uh, <laughs> by googling, by going to Facebook.com/slash uh, Secrets of Doctor Who, which is our um, Doctor Who uh, Facebook page that you could go to. Um, but Wayne and and his co-host they recommended that that fo- their listeners come listen to ours and we welcome them uh, because of all the Catholic content it would have been um, uh, they, they, they said that uh, our podcast was a good resource for talking about that so I, I appreciate that I used to listen to Wayne for years uh, the, the podcast is called Don't Blink um, I listened to Wayne Ooh. for years on um, when he did a, po- a podcast on uh, the TV show Fringe which was excellent yeah so, Fringe cast yeah Fringe cast I, so, I, Another great podcast. Yes, um, yeah, and I, I rec- so I recommend uh, uh, that you all check out um, Wayne's podcasts, including his Don't Blink uh, uh, podcast on Doctor Who. So, um, but yeah, j- join us on on uh, if you can visit Tridio dot com t r i d e o. Go to our Facebook page, the Secrets of Doctor Who Facebook page. Leave them some feedback. Join the discussion. We love it. Um, uh, other than that, we'll be back next week when we'll be discussing the next episode, The Lie of the Land, which is the final part of this Monk's Trilogy. Uh, until then, Father Corey, where can people find you online? Uh, easiest way is my website, frcorey.org, and you can find me on Facebook and Twitter and all that kind of stuff at frcoreystica, last name spelled S-T-I-C-H-A. And Jimmy, where can people find you? At jimmyakin.com, that's J-I-M-M-Y-A-K-I-N.com. And you can find me at betnet.com, B-E-T-T-N-E-T.com, where you can find 
all my social media links, and then you can find all the links to what we uh, to our sites uh, in our show notes on trideo.com. So thank you for listening, and remember Nardole's four requirements for life. Air, water, food, and beer. Especially beer. When will I see you again? Uh, soon, I expect. Or later. One of those.